Have you ever considered why, as Christians, we gather together on Sundays? I mean, why not Saturdays? After all, that's the Sabbath day. Why not continue that tradition from the Old Testament where the saints would rest on, on the Sabbath and worship together? Why Sunday? It's the first day of the week. It's, of course, it would have been a work day in the first century. People would have had to take off of work. Been a, an inconvenience to their regular rhythm and schedules. Agricultural workers would have had to delay their crop work. They, it would have disrupted all types of the communities as these Christians would gather together on what was our Monday. Or what is our Monday? I mean, why not Wednesday or maybe even more conveniently uh, in the evening? Why during the day, in the early morning hours? Why Sunday? Well, friend, as you consider this in this tradition, maybe you just thought, hey, this is how it's always been done, and so that's, how, that's why we do it. You know, the Christians before us, they did it on Sunday, and so, well, we just do it on Sunday. Not that it's wrong for Christians to gather and worship, say, on Saturday night or, or Sunday evening or some other time throughout the week, but these early Christians chose from the very beginning, from literally that next week, after the death of Christ, to begin worshiping and gathering together on Sunday morning, in the early hours, to worship the risen and ascended Lord. Why? Well, friend, because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, as Christians, we believe that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Christians for 2,000 years have celebrated Easter, not just one time of year when the lunar calendar aligns itself in such a particular way as a remembrance of that, that Passover, but rather Christians for 2,000 years have believed that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we don't relegate it to a calendar event that happens uh, like Thanksgiving, we need to be told to be thankful. Now we celebrate every Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. The day that our Lord got out of that grave and proved to the world that He is the Lord of creation. We worship on the Lord's Day because we understand that the resurrection is the central tenet of the Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. If there is no empty tomb, as the Apostle Paul there said in that passage you heard me read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no empty tomb, we might as well all pack it up and go home. There's no point. There is no point to Christianity apart from Jesus physically raising from the dead. Not merely in spirit, but literally that body was remade into a resurrected body. And His Spirit, the divine Son and the resurrected Christ, forever lives physically. If that's not true, if that didn't happen, well friends, God is a liar. Jesus was a liar. 
The apostles were liars, and we, as the apostles, Paul said, are also liars. But if Christ is raised from the dead, if Christ is alive today, then we have hope. The greatest hope this world will ever know. We're going to think this morning about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we're coming up to Christmas, and so it might feel strange to sing Easter songs or so forth. And, but it is a reminder, I hope, that as a church, we view every Sunday as Resurrection Sunday, because that is our hope. It was the stamp that sealed God's approval that His sacrifice was accepted. Jesus has prepared His disciples for this day. Years earlier, and even in the final days of His ministry, He told them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And that day has come and that day has gone. And Jesus was convicted, we saw earlier in Luke's Gospel, as an innocent man. And He hung on that cross on Calvary as a substitute for our sins. As the Lamb of God, He bore the wrath of God that your sin and my sin rightly deserved. And He died. He was dead. And Joseph of Arimathea took that lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross and he wrapped it in linen cloths. And women began to prepare ointments and they had to, with haste, rush to get things done because the Sabbath was coming. And they were not allowed to touch dead bodies, nor anoint bodies, or do any form of work. And so they laid him in that, in that tomb. And then they went home. Not sure what the next day would bring. And now we fast forward three days later. It's now Sunday morning, early in the morning. And we're told what happened in Luke chapter 24. Invite you to turn there if you haven't done so already. We're going to consider this morning verses 1 through 12. And let me just encourage you, if you gather with us regularly, uh, to read ahead. In the back of your bulletin, we print next Sunday's uh, text um, for you to read throughout the week in preparation. Allow your mind uh, just to begin be, to be filled with the Scripture so when you gather with us, you'll be able to see all the ways that not merely the sermon but how every piece of our service connects to what we are going to think about in the sermon. It, it, I trust will fill your soul and your mind as you not only hear the sermon, but sing and hear prayers and Scripture. Luke chapter 24. Luke records this. <clears throat> but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of, Je of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. My friends, as we consider this text this morning, I think Luke's main idea is clear. Jesus is the risen Lord. Now, while Luke doesn't give us any theological interpretation, he merely reports the facts. He merely communicates to Theophilus what happened, the events that took place on that morning. Remember, he's writing to Theophilus an orderly account so that Theophilus, who's already a Christian, may be assured of the things he has come to know and believe. He's giving him an account that was communicated through eyewitnesses. And therefore, to give confidence that our redemption has been secured through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That our hope and confidence is based on the Word of God as it is found in Scripture. Now I want you to think for a moment about three responses to the resurrection. As we consider... Uh, this story before, before us, as we consider the facts in the case, if you will, I want you to consider three responses that I believe the apostle, or rather that Luke is giving us in this particular way. Number one, that we ought to trust the evidence. Trust the evidence. I think Luke is writing this in such a way as to give us a reliable account. He's giving us evidence, eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Christ, that we might have confidence. But more than that, he's not merely reporting historic fact, though he writes with precision as a historian. We see secondly, I think the second response that we ought to consider here is that we are to remember Jesus' word. More than trying to convince us of the evidence, I believe what is happening here is that Luke is recording this information in such a way that we leave with greater confidence in Jesus' own words. So my hope this morning isn't to be an apologist and prove to you the resurrection, but to force you to deal with Jesus and His own word. He said it, not me. Thirdly, I think the third response is really seen there in the Apostle Peter. As Peter goes in and looks, begins to think about what is happening, he goes away, we are told, and marvels at what had happened. I think we ought to marvel this morning at the risen Lord. We ought to consider how marvelous this reality is. A dead man, well, he is risen. He's alive. He's no longer dead. 
And I hope that the familiarity with this information doesn't cause our hearts to grow dull, but awakens and warms us in such a way that we worship and marvel anew at our risen and ascended Lord. So first we see, I believe, Luke here is wanting us to trust the evidence. To trust the evidence. Notice here the vivid detail in which he records. He tells us when it happened. What time of day they went. He tells us and reports who went. And what they had done to prepare. Now of course earlier in verse 55 we are told that the women had come with Joseph of Arimathea from Galilee and followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now why does Luke record this? Well he records this so that when they show up on Sunday morning they don't go to the wrong tomb. You can imagine how confusing it would have been. They, they show up at uh, the wrong tomb. They open it up. There's nobody there. And they begin to spread this rumor that Jesus had risen. Now, the women went to the right tomb. Luke wants us to know, as this, again, as a historian, he wants, to, he wants us to have confidence in the eyewitness testimony of these women. Now, it is interesting that he chooses women that the Lord chooses women to be the first ones to report this information out. Let me just con- consider the important place that women have had in the history of Christianity. No other religion has such a claim as Christianity does. That women aren't re- relegated to the back of the, the bus, if you will, but that are front and center. They're the first ones who proclaim the gospel of a risen Lord. I think it is a reminder to us, even in our own congregation, that the women make up the majority. And friend, that's been true of Christian churches throughout the millennia. Why? Friend, I, just, I think it's testified right here of the special place that God has in His providence for women in the life of the congregation. They're an important and central point. Now, while this isn't the main idea, ladies, I just want you to hear from me. You matter to this congregation just as much as the men do. And now sometimes, because of our complementarian positions, sometimes it can feel like women, you know, you're just sort of barefoot and pregnant and kind of put to the side. No, see the Lord valuing you. Your testimony of what God has done in your life is just as valuable as the men. Never doubt your work. In fact, I bet you your testimony, men, is that it was a woman who led you to faith in Christ. I bet you if we surveyed the crowd, it was our mothers or our grandmothers who got us to come to church, who were the first ones to tell us about Jesus. Of course, that is the testimony of so many. Even as it was this day as these women were the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. And of course, they didn't have their minds filled with Easter bunnies and Easter baskets, a whole lifetime of Easter services. They show up to that tomb to do what? To anoint a dead body. This isn't a, you know, they didn't skip down the road with baskets joyfully. Yay, it's the Lord's Day. Yay, we're going to go meet Jesus. These women had given up their families and their lives to follow Jesus. 
We're told even here in verse 55 that they had traveled all the way from Galilee. They had been with Jesus. This was not a day of rejoicing. This was a day of sorrow. They had with tears prepared those ointments. These ointments, these spices, they weren't making something. They were keeping the stench of rotting flesh from overwhelming the surrounding countryside. They had a dirty job. But yet it was in God's providence, wasn't it? That Jesus died at such a particular time as to force them to delay the ointment. Let me consider for just a moment. Because of the exact moment that Jesus died, it was late in the day, the women as... They were preparing, they had to be rushed, they knew that sundown was coming soon, and they had to stop all work at sundown. It was just a matter of minutes they, they had after Jesus was, was wrapped by Joseph. And so, with haste, they did what they could, and they knew they had to come back after the Passover. Do you see God's providence? They wouldn't have showed, they wouldn't, there'd been no reason for them to go back there that day, had it not been they, they left their work unfinished. And Luke records that they came back and they They were perplexed. They were like, what is happening here? Where is Jesus? Where is he gone? Even as we fast forward in the text, we are told in verse 10 about who the women were that reported. Look there at verse 10. Who were these women? Well, these were familiar names in the church in Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene. Oh, yeah, I sat by her in church last week. I remember her. Oh, and Joanna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. James, yes, James the elder there. Yes, yes, yes. I know him. He's one of the deacons there in the church. Ah, yes, his mom was there. I mean, I I can go ask her next week what it was like that morning. You see, Luke isn't just reporting out facts to unknown, of unknown people. Any one of the disciples, any one of these early churches members could have went and asked these women, Mary, Mary, I've heard of you. Yes, yes, yes. Back in Luke chapter 8, yes, I remember. Yes. You had seven demons in you? Wow. You were messed up. And Jesus chose for you to be an eyewitness? And, and, and what about you, Joanna? You worked for Herod. You worked for the enemy. You worked for the guy who murdered our Savior. And he chose you? God in his goodness, giving us these eyewitnesses that could have been interviewed and asked. Well, notice here, secondly, we see the other eyewitnesses were two angels. Because the women are perplexed, they're kind of confused. What is happening? Their, their heads are spinning. Where did his body go? Did, 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 did someone steal it? Is, is the robbers, the grave robbers come? It's only been a couple days. What is happening? And these two men with dazzling clothes tells them and testifies that he is not here. Notice the question that they ask. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, we don't go to the cemetery thinking we're going to run into somebody who's come out of a grave, right? 
You're in the wrong place. Why, why would you be looking for Jesus? He's not here. This isn't, he, he's overcome the grave. He is risen. He's alive. And so these angels testify to it. And then the third witness is Peter himself in verse 12. We're told that Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping in, he saw the linen cloths. You see, if it had been grave robbers, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body. Even if it was the, the religious establishment, they wouldn't have done this. Well, why would the religious establishment done anything to prove the resurrection? Why, why would they help further this idea? Um, no, they would have, at first light, as soon as word got out that Jesus was alive, they would have presented the body and said, Here's the body of Jesus. He's, he's here. More than that, you might say, well, what if, it was, what if they were just concocting? What if the, the disciples just made this whole story up about the resurrection? You know, what if they just kind of, this is all just a fanciful tale? Well, why then would Luke record here in, this, in these verses, this verse, verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them? If the apostles just made this whole thing up, why would they not be the heroes of the story? Why would they choose women? Nobody trusted women in the first century. Nobody would have trusted an eyewitness testimony from a woman. Why would they pick women to be the first ones to report it out? Why would they themselves be found to be in disbelief? Why would their leader, the very one that, that is, is the leader of the church, Peter, be kind of just stumbling along through this whole thing. Why isn't he leading? Well, it's because the main idea of the text is not to convince you merely of the evidence, though we ought to trust the evidence. You see, the main idea that Luke has in this text is for you to trust Jesus by remembering his word. I want you to notice something here. Look with me again. This is the second point. So we've moved on to the second point. So if you're nervous and think I'm still on point one, we're all right. We're moving along, all right? All right, we're moving along. All right, point two, remember Jesus' words. Remember Jesus' words. I want you to notice something here. Notice what the angels do. Notice that the angels don't pull out of their pocket. I don't know if angels have pockets, but say they do. And say, look, here's proof. We took a picture of him. He's alive. Notice how Luke compiles this. He says, He is not here, but has risen. And here's the proof. Here's the proof that Jesus is alive. What is it? Remember how he told you. Remember how he told you. And then look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. You see, the greatest proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a geographic location where we can get on a plane, fly to Jerusalem, and go to a tomb and see it empty. Notice how the church does not preserve the empty tomb. They don't go out there and say, okay, let's mark this off and let's put a church inside of there and we can show everybody and prove to them that our Lord is not here. He's alive. They don't do that. Why? 
Because the greatest evidence of the resurrected Lord is Jesus' own word. What we need to be convinced of this morning isn't that there's an empty tomb that we can go physically touch, but that we believe Jesus' word. He said that he would rise again. So the the question for you this morning is the same question that Jesus had for Martha there at at her brother's tomb. I am the resurrection and the life. And no one comes to the Father except I am the resurrection. Do you believe my word? Do you believe my words? This is what the angels are getting at here. He told you. He had told you that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He told you that he had to be crucified. He told you that he would rise again. This is a matter of belief. This is a matter of faith. Do you believe that he is alive? And they do. They remember his words, and by faith they trust that Christ is alive, that he was born again. He told them, and they believed. Notice, as the women believe, the disciples doubt. Verse 11, but these words seem to them an idle tale, tomfoolery, it's silliness. And at some level, it's understandable, isn't it? I mean, if someone walked up to you and said, hey, you know, your, your loved one, I know it looked like they were dead, but they're not dead anymore, they're alive, they're they're." they're they're living. I mean, they would just watch over you with numbness. You'd stop. That's not helpful. What are you talking about? What are they doubting? What are they wrestling with here? What don't they believe? They don't believe the words of their Lord. Jesus had told them that he would die and rise again. This was a matter of belief. This was a matter of faith. J.I. Packer writes, optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty, guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. You know, we look at, sometimes we think of optimism, we think of hope, we think of even our own faith, that we're just believing mere historic facts. Christianity is not merely believing that Jesus died and he's alive, though that's true. But we're trusting that what Jesus said he was doing was accomplished. We're trusting his word. We're relying on God by by hearing and believing Jesus' words. Everything hinges on Jesus' words. Do you trust them? Do you trust that Jesus said, So don't trust because some apologist convinced you that because of eyewitness testimony that that was it. Notice even, if you have your Bibles, I'll prove to you kind of again. Here, this is helpful, I hope. We'll see. It might prove not to me. 1 Corinthians 15. 
when the Apostle Paul, in that text I read earlier, I want you to notice here a couple of things. He says, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to what? The word I preached to you, unless you believed in in vain. In other words, the basis of our faith is the Scripture. The testimonies that that has been revealed, the, the words of Jesus and His apostles. We are believing these words. We are trusting in them. Our confidence is found in the authority of Scripture. If you deny the authority of Scripture, if you deny inspiration, if you deny inerrancy, if you deny these things, you deny the Gospel of Lord Jesus Christ and you cannot be saved. Our faith rests solely in what we believe this book to be. If this book is just words written by men, then let's pack it in. But if these are words written by an eternal God revealed through His prophets and apostles, then we must depend our life upon them. We must give ourselves to obeying them if we have any hope of being saved. This is what the resurrection means. This is what the resurrection is all about. And so to say there is no resurrection is to say then that there is no hope and there is no salvation. That's Paul's argument. But back to Luke. Tim Keller argues this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He did not rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You see, Jesus' teaching is inseparably linked to the resurrection. To deny the resurrection is to throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. To deny the resurrection is to deny everything that Jesus said because Jesus said that He would die and rise again. So we must remember His words. We must devote ourselves to His Word, to know His Word, and depend upon His Word. What gives us assurance of the resurrection of the dead is Jesus' own words. Do you believe Him? Lastly, we have to trust the evidence that we're given We have to remember Jesus' words. And lastly, we must marvel at the risen Lord. There's so much that we could think about in this text, but I want to note just how Peter deals with this. Peter was a bullheaded man. He was a zealot. And we see his behavior. Now remember, earlier, just a few days ago, he had denied the Lord. He held his head in shame and sorrow. He witnessed the death of Christ and his burial. And in other gospels, we're told that he goes, uh, he goes fishing. He kind of goes back to life as normal. Well, I guess that's it. But here on this morning, as they were all gathered together, the 120 or so of them, we're told that as he listened to the report of the women, verse 12, 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. He needed to see it immediately. Stooping in and looking in. Notice here the the series of verbs that Luke strings together. He rose, he ran, he stooped, he looked, and he saw, and he went. We get the play-by-play. Luke, no doubt, had a conversation with Peter about this. Peter, what was it like? I didn't know what to think. I I heard these words. They seemed to me uh, like foolishness, like an idle tale. I thought they were just making up some fanciful story. I I didn't know what to believe. My head was spinning. The only thing I knew what to do is just go. I had to see it for myself. I had to see it. Surely they had been mistaken. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. I don't know. How did they even get that stone rolled away anyways? i got a lot of questions that are kind of unanswered here. Why were these women going out there at the wee hours of the morning, four o'clock in the morning or so? What were they thinking? How were they going to get that stone rolled away? Maybe they concocted some story. I don't, I don't really know. But I need to see it for myself. And so I ran. And I stopped and I looked in. And I saw that linen that Joseph had wrapped around him. It was laid there nice and neatly positioned. And I walked out. And I went home. I didn't know where else to go. I went home. Marveling at what had happened. They didn't have words to say. Now this idea of marveling contains a dualistic idea of both belief and unbelief. He is marveling. How can this be? How can this be? He was dead. I saw, his li- I saw him die. I saw his lifeless body. I, I don't understand these things. But, but he's not there anymore. He's gone. He, he's risen. He's alive. Brothers and sisters, no matter how many times you've read this story or heard an Easter sermon, You should never lose the marvel that this text reveals. That death could not hold him because the Father would not allow his Holy One to see decay. The Father would not allow his Son to see decay. He had paid the penalty in full. There was no longer for for death to reign over him. He defeated death. He overcame death. And you and I ought to respond with marvel and wonder. The glory that has been revealed. Luke leaves us a few breadcrumbs in this text. The first one came early on in verse 3. But when they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is the first time that Luke will use This phrase, Lord Jesus. Throughout the second volume of the book of Acts, he will use it repeatedly. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. It's similar to Luke's own usage in the book of Acts, if you're familiar with it. Where everything is in second person 
And then all of a sudden shifts to include Luke in the story, as Luke is invited into the story. Everything was about them, and then it was about us. Luke begins to be a part of the story. And what he does here is a little breadcrumb to to show us in a marvelous way that Jesus is no longer the Jesus that they once knew. But now he is the risen Lord. He is the one who is high and lifted up. He is the one who is going to take the throne of his father David. He is the one who is going to reign and rule over all. And brothers and sisters, what gives us confidence this morning is that Jesus is the risen Lord. That Jesus defeated death, therefore we don't need to fear death. That Jesus overcame darkness, that we don't need to be fearful in the midst of darkness. In many of the hymns that you sang this morning, it was the reflection of, of the midst of sin and darkness and difficulty and trial and suffering of this life. And what gives us hope in that is that Christ has been raised again. Christ is no longer dead. The grave could no longer hold on Him. And friend, that's true of you this morning. You need not fear your sin. Your sin is not so great that God could not forgive you. If you would just stop living life your way and doing things in rebellion against God's Word and and follow after Christ, you too can have the hope of eternal life. You too can know that though you die, yet you live. Because Christ lives. John Calvin would write, the cross of Christ only triumphs in the breasts of the believers over the devil and flesh, sin and sinners, when their eyes are directed to the power of His resurrection. The cross is meaningless apart from the empty tomb. Our eternal hope, brothers and sisters, rests in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though the storms of life are many, though the waves crash upon us, our only hope is in the resurrection. While we have these eyewitness accounts, our faith rests solely in Jesus' word that the Son of Man will rise on the third day. And He did. And He lives forevermore. We trust that He did die the death that we deserved. And we trust that He defeated death as the Apostle Paul says that his resurrection was, our, was for our justification. So that you and I could have confidence to approach the throne of God this morning. Because Jesus lives. In these ways, as we look to an empty tomb in wonder and marvel at the work of God in Christ. The things that God has done. We look forward to our own empty tomb. When one day, Christ will come. And our tombs will burst open. And they too will be found empty for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that we have in Christ. And we believe Jesus' words. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And he is our hope in life and death. He is our hope 
as we face down our sin and temptation, as we face down the difficulties of this broken world and the sorrow and sin that so easily clings to us, whatever troubles we have this morning, our hope is found in Christ and in Him alone. Help us, we pray, for Your glory and our good in Christ's name. Amen.